Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So in this episode, uh, we're going to be giving an overview of some of the concepts we frequently touch on when we're evaluating cards and building decks. Um, so <clears throat> the, the plan is for this episode to be a glossary of sorts for our, our favorite commander theories. Um, we There's a lot of concepts we reference frequently, but it's been a while since we've uh, really drilled into them and, and talked about uh, what they mean, how you can sort of apply them yourselves. So that's going to be the focus of this episode. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, with that, Zach, do you want to introduce the first topic? Yeah, so this first thing is something we talk about all the time. You'd probably heard it called on the show critical mass. So let me zoom out a little bit. Yeah. Um, the, the rules of Commander were chosen to enhance variance. Uh, they, like the leaders of the format, wanted to ensure that games were very different from each other, that the decks didn't play out the same way every time. But really, if you want to be successful in Commander, you want to make sure that your deck is able to combat that in some way and able to to find ways to be more consistent. Um, because consistency is important no matter what you're trying to do, even if that, that just means like pulling off some meme combo. Um, like, regardless of sort of how you're trying to win, it, it's a good idea to build uh, consistency into your deck. And so a big focus of our content is like avoiding neat cards or, or, or cute interactions that function rarely in practice uh, and building in redundancy to make it more likely you'll see the effects you need when you need them. So uh, critical mass is when you run enough copies of an effect that you are likely to see it by the point in the game you think you'll need it. So we, we often will determine this using a hypergeometric calculator. Um, that's a really useful tool for deck building that lets you input the number of cards in your deck, uh, like the essentially the point in the game that you want to see an effect by, because uh, basically that, that would be the sample size for your hypergeometric calculator. So like uh, five turns into the game, you've drawn your seven card opening hand plus five draw steps. So your sample size is 12 if you want to see something by turn five. And then you put the number of effects in your deck uh, that are, are that you're hoping to draw. So like if you really, really want to draw uh, a gate by a certain point of the game um, and you've got 11 gates in your deck, then that's going to be the the card of interest in your 99 card deck and you can set the turn you hope to see one by. Um, so those are your, your three variables that are going into this hypergeometric calculation. And uh, really what we try to do with this information is figure out how viable something is or, or like what percentage of the time you're going to see the, the card you want by the turn you want. And we're often pretty skeptical of combos in which the pieces don't have much redundancy, uh, especially when they're in colors that don't have an effective tutor suite. So, uh, you know, it, it can be an issue when you only have like, uh, when you're playing mono green, for example, and you only have your one copy of abundance and your one copy of cultivator Colossus. Well, fortunately, you're in green. You, you do have a lot of ways to find that Colossus, but in green, you don't have many ways to find your abundance. And so to get that combo off, um, you're really kind of relying on luck of the draw. And that's something we seek to minimize. We, we want our games to be less driven by luck and more driven by, um, you know, uh, more driven by like, deck building things that come like before the game even starts uh it really like if you're relying on like a one in 99 chance of drawing your combo piece uh 
then you're probably only going to get to assemble them pretty rarely. And uh, in the games where you aren't able to assemble the combo, they're just going to be kind of dead draws or, or subpar cards. Yeah. And can I offer some like caveats to this too? Yeah. Because <laughs> I um, am speaking in very broad strokes. Yes. Yeah, so the, I mean, the first one is that like when we're talking about critical mass or critical mass of cards, like we're not saying specifically like don't play cards like i think one of the like central tenets of like commander theory is like how do i build this deck so it functions the way i want so that's not necessarily like saying you should never do x or y but when we're talking about critical mass here what we're saying is like does this thing you're trying to do like fit with the deck are there enough cards that are doing it to make the thing that you want to have happen happen um and a lot of the time when we're talking about critical mass uh we're either talking about like an effect that we uh, like keep seeing come up or an effect that we wish would come up more so like uh white disenchants that cost Mm -hmm. two mana like something like that or um one that we keep seeing pretty much every set is like one or two mana black instance that make a creature that dies come back to the battlefield tapped like that's also an effect that we have basically gotten a critical mass of in the last few years don't really know what to do with that but that exists and so when we're talking about this uh we're not necessarily saying like don't run the abundance cultivator colossus but like be mindful of like why are you running it you know like if you want to like do the abundance cultivator colossus combo you probably need a commander that works with abundance pretty well to be able to make this happen more often than just like generic green deck that you can put both of these cards into. Um, So it's kind of about like thinking about what am I trying to do? Do I have enough ways to do this so that my deck works? Because even though we're not like a CEDH podcast, really what we're trying to do is like, can I play a game that is satisfying? Can I play a commander that feels like it's working? Uh, am I going to actually have fun trying to do this thing or am I going to be sitting there being like ineffectual as like all my friends are having a good time and watching their game plans take off? So this isn't like like a don't ever do these things. Like I, I will play a combo that's like a 1 in 99 just to make sure the game ends at some point. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like if the game is going to like turn 30, sometimes I'll put like a janky combo in my deck just to make sure that like the game can end. <laughs> and i think that is very different because like i'm very mindful that that's not that's not plan a b or c that's like plan e you know plan f like (laughs) i'm not trying to do that it's just like this is a pretty low cost to running this card in my deck but like if the game runs too long then i can i have like the kill switch for it so yeah we're, we're not trying to be very prescriptive about this it's more um that we want to make sure that you're going into your your deck building with eyes open and you're mm. aware that uh you know if you only have your your one in 99 chance of drawing something or like or assembling your combo or whatever uh that you're okay with the fact that it's not gonna happen very often yeah and so like an example of this would be like you want to play a black deck that requires untapping creatures and you're like, okay, well, let's look at all the things that I have to to untap. You're like, okay, Mage Right Stone, uh, Jandor Saddlebags. It's already getting pretty slim pickings, right? Like, mm-hmm. like uh, the uh, Staff of Domination. You know, it's getting pretty slim <laughs> at that mm-hmm. point. You know, so that's an example of like a a type of deck where you might not have the critical mass to do the thing you want. So maybe you might want to look at like a blue black commander that allows you to untap things or even like a green black one where there's like a lot more scrib sprites and um seeker of sky breaks and things like that where or you can just like use black's tutor suite and sort of use tutors as as like wild cards for mm-hmm. the effect that you want that's another thing you can do to like cheat critical mass a little bit yeah and that's actually a really good point is um tutors help with the critical mass so if there is a card or type of card that you really want to see by turn X, then tutors count for that type of card. Mm -hmm. So let's say you are playing like a black green deck 
and you really want abundance for your cultivator colossus well every single black tutor that you have now is an abundance if you want it to be so that ups the amount of hits for your abundance combo and all of a sudden your deck functions like you want it to so um something to keep in mind one of the reasons black is so good uh we've talked about that a lot and uh something else to look in other colors white is kind of getting this slowly getting a critical mass of like legendary tutors so mm. that's going to be something where like oh a legendary card does this i'll be able to tutor for this in white which is um kind of new territory for it so um that's i don't know do you want to add anything else to critical mass before we move on because that that i think sums it up pretty nicely yeah i think we can move on to the next one um do you want to introduce this one yeah sure so this is game enders slash win conditions this is one that we reference all the time and it's basically um when we're talking about game enders and win conditions we're talking about like cards that either end the game when you cast them or like the thing that you're trying to do to win the game uh so kind of self-explanatory but nick do you want to get into like a little bit deeper what that means and what we're looking for sure um so we, we talk about this a fair bit but the rules of commander are intended to make games run long and so strategies that are effective in 60 card magic don't always translate well to a format with multiple opponents that each have 40 life and so winning the game can require massive effects that that really go over the top of multiple opponents trying to impede your strategy uh effective win conditions aren't just like well my deck has you know 30 or 40 percent creatures so I'll, i'll probably have enough threats like that's like dark confidant turning sideways might work in some formats but it's not how you're going to win the game in commander um so really effective win conditions need to be things like infinite combos that instantly chew through several healthy opponents um effects that lock your opponents out of playing the game or massive damage multipliers like crater hoof behemoth um and of course like you know check with your play group and your metagame uh some metagames are going to be totally fine with all three of those things. Some metagames might only be okay with one of those things. Uh, so just take the temperature of your playgroup and figure out what works for them. But, you know, we really just want to point out the fact that translating strategies doesn't always work well. And you need to think about like, so like, how do I actually win? And, and this is something that I am guilty of not, thinking of all the time uh some of the the sample deck lists i've posted during our set review episodes you may you may like find yourself asking that question of like how does this deck actually (laughs) win the game um because it's hard and and some colors are are really bad at this they haven't really solved this for every color in in commander but it's something you need to be aware of when you're building your deck and unless you're unless you're okay with just like you know doing your game plan but not necessarily winning i i have uh i have decks where like i'm satisfied if i get to do my thing i'm satisfied like regardless of whether or not i end up winning um but you know if if your goal is to win you you really do need to consider this yeah and this is also something where one of the reasons combo is so good is that you don't have to chip away at like 120 points of life to win. Mm -hmm. You can kind of just do the thing, uh, put your hand down on the table and go like, read them and weep. Like here it is. Mm -hmm. This is it. And that's one of the reasons people don't like that. But I think that just in general, non-combat ways to win tend to be pretty good. Um, Whether that's like an impact tremors, you know, that, that can chew through people pretty quickly perforo something like that or like jared golgari lichlord can like eat through people's life totals it only takes a few like 12 12s before everyone's dead you know <laughs> like mm-hmm. not not too much work there in that regard you don't really have to slam with like a 10 10 four times per person and then the game is over and it's also one of the reasons that people like combat too because it is like more of a challenge it's like something that 
they get to add up all these funny numbers and see like what's going on and try to like push through the damage like that in itself is an interesting like problem to solve um even if you kind of go into it with the awareness that there are better options on the table and that that's kind of the thing is like this debate of like what is a win condition what is a game ender gets fuzzy the like more broad you take it because like is a game ender like like a card that ends the game or is a game ender like a white sun zenith and then i untap next turn and play like two more cards you know like mm-hmm. like that you can win the game from that position but i don't know if i would like necessarily call that a game ender like to me white sun zenith is like just a token maker and i'll do with those tokens whatever the table allows me to do <laughs> So thinking about how you're going to win the game will also help you build your deck. What is my intention going into this deck building process with this commander? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to do something like off the wall and I'm trying to do something more like stereotypical? Either of those things is fine, but being mindful of like the end process, like like Nick was saying, you don't have to win the game to have a good game. So what is like, what does that look like for you? That's kind of like what the game enders looks like. If you have a consistent play group, you'll know what they're okay with, but definitely be mindful of like, oh, this is my infinite combo deck. I can infinite combo turn seven every game. Is it cool if I sit down with you? (laughs) Like some people don't like that. And you know, you can play that deck around me if we hang out, but I definitely get going to a card shop and someone wants to slam jam with their Lin Civy, like mono white aggro deck you're just gonna have to play with different people <laughs> at that point <laughs> so definitely be mindful of your game enders be mindful of your critical mass and be mindful of this next category if you want to kind of introduce this idea yeah we're, we're gonna get sort of like more specific as we go through this episode we're gonna get on a spectrum from like very broad advice to like kind of narrow suggestions but um this next topic is uh, something we reference a bit during our set reviews uh sometimes we we call them five mana do nothings sometimes we call them do nothing enchantments uh these are i mean th- those terms are not always accurate there's plenty of these things that cost six mana plenty that aren't enchantments but i'll get into what they mean in just a second so this is a, a category that is like changed in value over time and in some play groups like you can still get away with doing this but I'll start off by saying that like when the format was younger, um, Commander was more forgiving of players who wanted to, to spend a lot of the early and mid game um, just kind of doing setup for for like splashy plays later on. Uh, but the, the pace of the format has increased a lot over the past decade or so. Um, and answers have become a, a fair bit more efficient and uh, in my experience at least, like more frequently played. So expensive cards that don't impact the game immediately and require other cards to be effective, uh, like Alhammerite's Archive, like Double Vision, things like that, um, they're just a lot riskier than they used to be. There are a lot of powerful cards that fit this, this category, and they can be really potent in metagames with less interaction or like a slower pace of gameplay. Um, but because Commander is a format in which multiple opponents are, are trying to trip you up uh, in this environment, cards that eat up a lot of tempo and can potentially be answered before they get you any advantage are big liabilities. Um, th- this is like the type of card that we will often describe as like requiring you to beg each opponent uh, to let you <laughs> yeah. untap with it. Um, these are the kind of things where you, you, you play it and you have to look each opponent in the eye and plead with them or, 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 <laughs> uh, just get down on your hands and knees and, and hope that they will let you get to your <laughs> next untap step so it can actually realize value for you. Yeah. And, and this isn't to say that like their risk isn't always worth like their reward. So like in regards to like certain permanents, all harm archive, like Sometimes you untap with an Alharmarat's archive and then you're just far and above in the best position on the board, like after doing like one thing, right? But you had to wait that turn cycle for that to happen. So like 
other enchantments that you don't really see anymore that you used to see all the time or like cast through time you know this is an enchantment mm-hmm. where you spend seven mana and your instants and sorceries you cast have rebound which is you know that's, that's pretty good but you had to spend seven you had to wait a whole turn <laughs> and then you had to cast some instants and sorceries and then you had to wait another turn you know like it gets it gets pretty bad pretty quickly um yeah, debtors like and is another how, one mm-hmm. yeah i was just gonna say like how long do your games typically run these days where it's like how many turns will you be getting value off of your seven mana enchantment yeah so like grave betrayal used to be one that i see or I used to see all the time uh and when it works it works crazy grave betrayal is like a seven mana enchantment that's black whenever uh something you control or something that you don't control dies you return it to the battlefield under your control with a plus one plus one counter on it and it's a zombie um sorry a black zombie um so like crazy powerful board is clogged you play this your wrath you get all the everyone else's stuff but like that required a lot of setup that required a lot of mana you had to not die in the clogged board there, there's like a lot of steps to that so these cards can be like really big and fun there are a lot of the reason why people started playing commander in the first place but it's uh you have to be mindful of why it's in your deck what is it doing like i'm not just going to play like a five six seven mana do nothing card unless the reward is like right what i'm trying to do like exactly what i'm trying to do so lich's mastery is one of those cards for me it's like okay this is a six mana enchantment and i guess this one's a little different because you can like not die if you have a big Mm -hmm. enough like graveyard and whatever but um and it has hex proof so like that's yeah harder to blow certainly up. a lot more appealing yeah yeah definitely maybe this is a bad example but it's the <laughs> kind of card where you you play it and then you have to wait a little bit to get the reward off of it but for me the reward is like pretty worth it um i've definitely won games because i put a lich's mastery down and like even though people attacked me and i ended up with like one or card in hand and like one card in the graveyard like it was because of this janky like strategy i was trying to do that like i was able to pull through and and win um and there's like a lot of things that could be in this category and we're not trying to say that like again we're not saying don't play these things we're saying be mindful of where you're playing them uh swarm intelligence is like a pretty cool card Uh, like you get two copies of all your instants and sorceries but it is a seven mana do nothing on its own (laughs) Mm -hmm. so if you're going to play swarm intelligence make sure you can live long enough make sure that you have a deck that can support that kind of of play and uh you know then you'll probably have a good time but if you're going into it blind if you're just like i really love vicious shadows (laughs) like yeah you might have a worse time yeah i know like like back in the day i used to play uh decks with like a lot more of these and sometimes you would just get hands where it's like well i'm gonna tap out every single turn on like turns five six and seven uh but you know in order to set up for something really cool but if you ever run up against a deck that's just like a lot of one for one a lot of like you know cheap interaction you're going to have a terrible time. Just like even a deck with a bunch of counter spells. Like I, I spend seven mana on one thing and my opponent spends two mana to answer it and they get a token off their Talrand or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not you're, you're going to be at, there's a limit to how many of these you can run. I'll say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And just be again, just it's about being mindful. It's about being thoughtful and you're like deck construction. Like Wild Pair is a card that I used to see all the time. You know, it's a six mana green enchantment. Whenever a creature you control enters, you can basically put a creature from your deck onto the battlefield that has like equivalent like added power and toughness. Um so you know, that's not a bad card. That's a pretty good card. You get free creatures, it's like a huge mana savings. But you did have to sit there, maybe tap out for a six mana enchantment, have the whole table like not either blow it up or attack you you know like if your deck is doing that like great that's wonderful like you're gonna have a good time but it could be the case that like you play your wild pair and then you have like another six mana do nothing <laughs> enchantment in your hand and not a creature and you know it you have to build your deck intentionally um and 
that's kind of the whole point of of this section. Just, how, how many are you going to fit in there? What are you mm-hmm. What are you going to do with those things? Um, which I think gets us to. We've been talking about things like surviving. Um, <laughs> do you want to get into this <laughs> next section? <laughs> yes. Um, so this, I'm gonna. <laughs> give a, a very like a controversial statement um spot removal has to be instant speed mm-hmm. uh and i'll give a caveat that that's not 100 percent true and there's lots of times where we make exceptions um but as a rule of thumb this is something to keep in mind like in commander 75 percent of the game is going to be on your opponent's turns and because the nature of the format rewards big explosive plays, uh, you should be willing to sacrifice some raw card power for the ability to react during the the huge portion of the game that takes place outside of your main phase. Vindicate is a it's a neat card, but it's worthless when your opponent plays two halves of a combo on their turn. Like you need to be able to to bolt that Kijiji or that zealous conscripts because that's the the most effective way to win in commander not just like turning dude sideways if if you're worried about turning dude sideways like there there's plenty of mass removal that's slow and but will like get you well we'll deal with like big board states that that can that get telegraphed and that you can um see coming like you spot removal is there for the things that you can't see coming a mile mm-hmm. away Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll definitely second that. The, the exception to this is when your spot removal like also is doing something else when that's not the whole package. Um, so, uh, binding the old gods is like an example of this, where like you get to blow something up and then you get to ramp and you get this all on one card. Like that's really good value. You're saving like a lot of mana, a lot of like deck slots doing something like that. But I don't include that in my uh calculus for can i interact with a combo you know like for me that card is like okay it's cool that it blows something up and i get a land but it's not spot removal in the same way that um i don't know like a a deadly rollick <laughs> might be you know the exile a creature for free if i have my commander like that's that's a very different type of interaction um that i definitely look to have in decks like maybe not deadly rollick in particular but uh the instant speed and then also like being able to cast it i think that's the other one like there are a lot of i'm trying to think of like a good word like appealing looking spot removal spells that like do a lot um so let me think of like like hurl through hell. That was one from the Forgotten Realms commanders. Mm. It's you exile a creature and then uh you can cast that card until the end of your next end step. Um costs four mana, it's an instant, like should be perfect, right? It costs two and a black and a red. But you have to leave up four mana <laughs> mm-hmm. if the in that case, which means that on your turn, like let's say it's turn six, like you did you have something that only cost two? Did you have something that only cost one? Did you just pass without doing anything? Um, just so that you can maybe answer something with this hurl through hell. And how many turns are you going to sit there to do that? Like waiting for a creature that just is gnarly enough for you to, to get, you know? So be mindful of like actually being able to cast them. This is one of the reasons why like three mana interaction spells, uh, are good but you don't want too many of them like chaos warp does a lot especially for mono red but how many three mana chaos warps would i be willing to run actually like i oh maybe mono red a decent amount but not a lot honestly yeah yeah i definitely there there gets to be a point if you're like in a um in like an obzon color identity it's like well i've got generous gift and beast within and uh the mythos of Nethroi and uh, anguished unmaking. It's like, it's and assassin's trophy. Like mm-hmm. uh, uh, it just gets to be a point where it's like, I don't think I need all of these. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. 
And mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think something that plays out in people's, um, just natural experience of the game too, like attacking and then your creature gets swords to plowshares or attacking and someone like, uh, vendettas your creature or something, you know, the one mana combat tricks, removal spells, like there's a reason why they're played so heavily and it's because it really is such a low like entry cost like a uh uh what's the what am i thinking o- of opportunity cost thank you <laughs> yeah. it is it's such a low opportunity cost to run those cards and the benefit to you is so high you go from being like oh i guess you win the game to like i tap a land and stop you from doing your thing and we get to continue and maybe yeah, i get to win next turn <laughs> that is something you really got to consider with your spot removal is just like if there are no good targets, how much mana did you waste by leaving it open? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you know, if you like, if you're holding up three mana for an anguish done making, uh, and and nobody casts anything worth blowing up, and you don't have some sort of sink or another instant you can play, that's tempo lost. But you know, if you have like an assassin's trophy or even a swords to plowshares, like you mentioned, like you're giving up less if mm-hmm. things go wrong like the the floor is a little bit higher on those options and and we're getting like an embarrassment of riches in this regard too they keep printing like very good two one and two mana spells that either are just very efficient at what they do so let's say like a vanishing verse which has just been like incredible in like my short time playing i guess it's been a year but in in my year playing with vanishing verse i put it in just to see how good it was and i've been like blown away by how many things it actually hits um and then we're also getting stuff that's like modal so you'll have removal that is not dead if they don't cast a creature so like uh you find some prisoners uh like destroys an artifact or you can like cast a card off the top of someone's library like we keep getting spells like this where if they don't have the thing that i'm looking to blow up which is good for you you know i also can get value out of it that is a huge, huge benefit to your game plan. It'll make you feel a lot better. It'll make you feel like you're not just sitting there doing nothing. Uh, I think most commander players have experienced that. Like you keep trying to top deck something and you top deck just something like a removal spell that just is absolutely not relevant. And then you just have to sit there a whole other turn waiting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why I really liked um, your temple is under attack from CLB. Um, cause it has this one mode that's like super necessary for these, uh, these aggressive decks that commit a lot to the board. It's got the, it's the two and a white instant, uh, and you can choose one. You can either give creatures you can stroll indestructible until end of turn. So potentially save them from a board wipe, or you can strike a deal. You and target opponent each draw two cards. So if the, the indestructible part doesn't end up being relevant and you've just, you're in danger of ha- having held three mana up for nothing, you can just draw some cards and maybe help the opponent who's in the, the worst position. Um, so yeah, just modal spells that allow you to, uh, that, that have some like base mode that's always going to be useful are, are really important in commander. <laughs> I guess let's get into this next section, which is, um, a pretty specific one. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to get into, to this next, uh, kind of, segment i guess yeah so um it's hard to like sugarcoat this uh planeswalkers are bad <laughs> in commander and I, I think most listeners are going to be aware of that but just want to reiterate why for, for anyone for whom this is news um life totals are are so high in this format that most attacks aren't going to make a dent in an opponent's life like in 20 life, 60 card formats, it is more of a choice whether to attack an opponent or to try to take down their planeswalkers. And if an opponent is low enough, you might just go with like, I'm going to leave your planeswalker alive because I think I can close it out. Um, But that's way, way less likely to happen in commander. Um, And so if, if given the choice between like, you know, taking someone from 40 life to 36 life or to 
kill or significantly weaken weaken a planeswalker, you're probably gonna go for the latter. Um, like the in- incentives of the format just point you towards sending chip damage at the thing that's gonna put your opponent down a card when it dies, uh, and and will also like, and of course that planeswalker that you might be sending your guys at is gonna generate long-term advantage for that opponent so you you have a uh you have a big incentive to to swing at that thing and of course there's multiple opponents and they're all making that same sort of decision they're all following that same kind of calculus so multiple opponents just means more attackers that can potentially beat down on your planeswalkers uh anything you want to add to that yeah, I think that when you listen to our set reviews, which are um, have feel like they've gone up exponentially in the last few years, um, one of the things that we often say about Planeswalkers is that they're like mid or that they're okay or that they're not doing anything special. Uh, every now and then one comes out like the whatever the newest Vivian was called. I can't remember off the top of my head um, that like basically does her thing and then like doesn't matter if she sticks around vivian on the hunt which is a six mana planeswalker and her plus two is to um uh muta what is it muta something birthing pod birthing Birthing pod pod. yes so her plus two is to birthing pod something so she ends up with six loyalty you birthing pod something you can start a combo chain whatever blah 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 like that's very different from like vivian reed the first one that we saw mm-hmm. which is kind of just like a standard planeswalker and i say standard for the format like generates little bits of value over time if you can protect her she wins the game for you like etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's just not reasonable in commander and and the one exception to this that uh, you might be at home thinking like but zach like my super friends deck wins often um And there's a pretty good reason for that. One is that like, if you build your super friends list correctly, you can utilize uh, basically ways to tick up your planeswalkers faster. And also you, you don't care about creatures. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you know that you're not going to be playing a bunch of creatures, you can play as many wraths as you want because like, they're not going to be bad. Like anytime the board gets a little bit clogged up, you can get rid of them. And then all of a sudden, every single card in your deck is giving you this incremental advantage. Uh, and that is a, like based on how you built your deck more than like the power of Planeswalkers and Commander as a whole, right? Um, that is, you had a plan, you built your deck to execute on that plan, and uh, your plan is working <laughs> mm-hmm. more so than... But Planeswalkers are actually really strong. Um, it's one of the reasons why Oko who is just an absolutely insane card in every format is completely fine in commander, right? Like you think about all of the most powerful planeswalkers we've seen over the years, Jace, the mind sculptor. Um, I don't know the Liliana, the veil, like these are cards that people laud for how strong they are and think about how often you see them ruin a game of commander. And it's probably never. (laughs) <laughs> well, I I don't want to I don't want to undersell Oko. I think that part of the reason Oko is I actually think he's one of the you know better planeswalkers in the format. Mm-hmm. Um, and and part of the reason that is is because like he comes down. First off, he's cheap, but that's not really why he's good. It's because like he just messes up your opponent's commander so badly that if you play him for three, I, I mean, compare him to like Imprisoned in the Moon or Song of the Dryads these like other common uh, commander hosers, like he comes down for the same mana cost. And not only does he really mess up your opponent's commander, but he also like uh, can potentially do it again. Like they, they are forced to, or or your opponents collectively are forced to kill him or else he's going to do it to the next commander on the next turn. Um, So yeah, he's, uh, he's a messed up little dude. And, and, because he has a, an impact immediately, like a, a really important effect immediately, uh, he that's what makes him one of the better commanders. Like a lot of the or better commanders, better planeswalkers. A lot of the the planeswalkers 
we like the most are ones that has some sort of big impact on the game the turn they come down and then you know whether they live or die beyond that is is kind of immaterial almost Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely like the the new um elspeth i man there's too many (laughs) too many (laughs) names uh the elspeth radiant i mean kind of fits into that for me like you look through the deck you get a creature if you want or you can like put a bunch of counters on something like it kind of does something then it dies and it doesn't really matter um and you know what that's that's great kind of you, you're not upset when your creature dies uh and or you're not upset when your planeswalker dies you got some value out of it uh whatever uh, elspeth sun's champion is another one where like you cast elspeth sun's champion you plus one or you get your three soldiers um that protects her pretty well but then even if she dies like oh well you cast a bad like token generator <laughs> like it could have been well, worse also, like, well, also if you do her her minus three and blow up all the creatures with power four or greater like that's also a, a pretty significant impact on the board yeah, that's definitely true uh, so, so like she has two modes that are really live on turn one or, or like the, the first turn you play her um and so I, that's another reason like i'm a, a big fan of her and and not so much a big fan of her her resplendent form in, in nuka penna <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the i don't know just the the main thing is like if you're going to be playing a planeswalker like look at what it's doing for you are there other cards that are doing that better do you just want to play with the planeswalker uh and honestly like that honesty is good for you too if you're like i know a johnny vengeant doesn't fit my deck but i've just always wanted to play it okay you know whatever sure <laughs> like that's fine um but as long as you like are aware of like your deck construction and you're not putting too many of those cards in your deck where like this planeswalker is just never going to do the thing you want it to do um and you're aware of that then you know that's fine um it's another reason why i've really enjoyed the planeswalkers that don't really have like a traditional ult um it's like they're a lot less appealing to attack into because it's kind of a lot less uh visible to your opponents how like good they might be for you so i've been a fan of those the uncommons and the rares from like war of the spark and then even recently um we've been getting some like pretty decent ones like chandra acolyte of flame is a pretty good one that i've used fairy time raveler um that vivian i was talking about like there's a few that just like do a thing they don't look super threatening um and you know that's fine or, or the the new ones the tasha and the elminster from uh, Baldur's gate like those both don't really ult in the traditional sense mm-hmm. um which is kind of good because it's like if they're being attacked it's like not necessarily like yeah, you probably want to attack them but it's not as like necessary to attack them so people give you a little more leeway which I think is a lot more fun for Commander in particular. Oh yeah, I love the the ultless planeswalkers a lot more. Um just because it's it's not super fun on either side of the table if like, you know, you're the the planeswalker or like you're the controller of the planeswalker with the the powerful ult because mm, you're you're not likely to pull it off. Um mm-hmm. like like your your opponents just aren't gonna let you do it. So you're always kind of denied this cool thing. You, you mm-hmm. never really get to to do the fun thing. And your opponents are have this feeling of like, oh, there's this ticking time bomb and that's just like a constant source of stress for them. And they probably will be able to deal with it eventually. Um, but it just doesn't feel great if they are like, you know, if they're under the gun in that way. Mm-hmm. So so nobody has a good time with the ults. Whereas if it, Planeswalker is just like a value engine that does something cool every turn, um, that, that's more, I, I think that's, that's a better gameplay. So that's just yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely higher on those ones. Um, more Planeswalkers that are like Kaya Geist Hunter and less Planeswalkers that are like, uh, I don't know, what's a, <laughs> a Liliana Dreadhorde General? Is that no, 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 that that one like 
She, oh, actually, yeah. yeah okay, she, she wins with when she ults pretty hard. Yeah, uh, but I've like never other, seen her ult. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but the other modes on her are so good. Like you don't, that's you don't true. care that much about the ult. Anyway, that's anyway. true. More, 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 uh, Mordenkainen's or whatever. Like, like that are sure, sure, just whatever. Um, but we got kind of one more, uh, one more general CT. A knowledge chunk for you for this episode and, and yeah uh, it's pretty universal i would say <laughs> yeah this actually uh doesn't even this isn't even like specific to commander this is probably just like general magic theory at this point um but it's that more options are better uh and, and the more things you can do the more likely you are to utilize your your resources effectively and avoid wasting your tempo um but from this this point uh we can pull a lot of implications so you know as we've mentioned earlier like modal spells are really sweet uh, especially if at least one mode is broadly useful Uh, it gives you more outs to not waste your tempo um lower mana values on your spells gives you more options in the early turns of the game if everything costs five or six mana then you you really don't have a lot of options on turns one through four. Um, and card draw provides you with more options. Ramp opens up your options uh, by giving you more resources with which to, to do things with. Um, so I, I don't even know how much else to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've kind of like if you like you've made it to this point in the episode you've heard us talk about this already in like points in this episode um and i think one of the big things about like ct and like commander theory that the actual theory that we're basically using when we're talking about the format is i i think like the main point for this one the more options are better is kind of just there are lessons that you have to learn in like 60 card formats that still transfer over to commander. So this is just a general magic theory, a magic talking point because uh, it's one that people forget about because of commander commanders kind of been billed as like the wacky, like crazy things happen. Like it was billed as like the battle cruiser format for, I mean, it, it and it still can be like, there's no reason it shouldn't be. Um, for years and years, like oh, most of the last decade, it was how people talked about Commander. But this has always been true, and it will continue to be true. More options are better. Um, and it's one of the reasons that the format has been like pushed down in mana value over time. Because like having more things to do on a turn, like the, the first turn you can double spell in like a game of limited is like a big deal. The first game, the first turn you can double spell in commander. It's still, still a big deal. <laughs> like mm-hmm. being able to like play a mana rock and something else, or like cast a draw spell on your commander, cast like a commander and have mana up to protect it. Like those are huge turns, uh, even if they don't feel like it in the moment. And those kind of turns are going to be the little small incremental advantages that push you into positions where you can eventually win the game. Um, or maybe you're not trying to win the game. Maybe it's just do the thing you're trying to do. You're like, I want to see how many uh, pest tokens I can make this game. Well, you know what? Good for you. <laughs> like, This is still going to help you make that happen, right? Like this is still going to allow you to execute on a game plan that lets your deck do the thing it's trying to do. And to me, that's like the whole point of commander theory like to me it's like i am looking at the format holistically to be able to create a deck that does what i am trying to do i'm gonna give it a silly goal and execute on that what is the goal well it could be like i'm gonna try and make rogues good what what do i need to make rogues good are there commanders that make rogues good inherently what cards go well in that deck or it could be like I want to cast as many free creatures as possible. Are there commanders that like supplement that? What options do I have? Like, what is the curve I can do? Um, all of those are going to help you 
in your gameplay. All of those are going to help you in your deck construction and being mindful of this point as well as like all the other ones that we've really talked about in this episode are just going to make your commander experience better. Like there's nothing better than like putting a pile of jank down on the table and then watching it do your, the thing you wanted it to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's such a good feeling. And if you're listening, that's probably one of the reasons you listen to us and you play commander is like seeing a goofy brew come together. So this is basically how me and Nick make that, that happen (laughs) really is like this set of, of guidelines that we've been talking about in this episode. Like, what do I do if I want to make this six mana dragon work? Well, here it's all here in this episode. (laughs) Like if you be Mm -hmm. mindful of these things, you can make this six mana commander do the thing you need it to do. Um, and yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to this. And no, there's no, last I, thoughts. Yeah, I, I think you encapsulated it perfectly. I don't have anything to add. Uh, and I think we can wrap up this episode here. So I hope that you all enjoyed this uh, brief run through of some of the, the central tenets of Commander Theory. Um, and before we go, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Andy, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Emmanuel, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, Frugal Brutal, Carl, Oscar, Danny B, Daniel, Ariel, Jean-Francois, Drew, and Recta. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory. Thanks for listening. Woo. You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Commander Theory. And on Twitter, I am at Fat Bartleby. You can also email us at commandertheory at gmail.com. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Nick Cage. You can check him out on SoundCloud. And if you're interested in some other creative products I'm working on, I have a band you can check out. We are a pink punk, pop punk band called The Have Nots, all one word like Cosmonauts. Uh, you can listen to all of our music for free right now. You can just head over to thehavenots.bandcamp.com. That is T-H-E-H-A-V-N-A-U-T-S.bandcamp.com. And check us out. Let me know what you think.